The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. Well, let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Heshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a mad man with a box. Well, now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbranson, and with me, as always, my co-hosts and traveling companions in the TARDIS, uh, Sakeski and Matthew Kressel. How's it going tonight, guys? Pretty good, pretty good. Well, could be better, could be worse. <laughs> as, as always, right? As always. <laughs> I'm excited about Chicago with... TARDIS next week, so... Yes. Yeah, starting to get really excited about that, so... Uh, yeah, are you guys um, looking forward to that? Is there anything? I feel like we we have uh, an elephant in the room that we got to get out out of the way before we um, dive into. We have a four part review to do today, so I feel like we can't waste too much time. But we've all seen the power of the Doctor since the last time we talked. We talked a few days before it aired, yes. yep. and uh, I feel like we got to spend at least a couple minutes uh, <laughs> talking about that. So. Um, Let's dive right into that. Uh, we don't have to do a full review, obviously, because maybe someday it'll spin up on right. our randomizer. But um, what do you get? What do you guys think about the uh, power of the Doctor Centennial BBC Centennial special? I mean, yeah, I mean, is the BBC having a centennial? I mean, it's like I don't <laughs> seem to have heard too much about it, although I keep hearing that this yeah. was part of its celebration. Um, yeah. Other than the the yeah the branding on this episode, I don't think I heard a thing about it. But that's. Um, well, um, I'll go first. It was quite entertaining, which gives it a step up over Legend of the Sea Devils. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, overall, it was an enjoyable episode. Um, obviously, lots of uh, callbacks. I mean, so it, it had a lot to offer for long-time Who fans or, Italy, or Who fans who have like caught up with the history of Doctor Who since it came back in 2005. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how much non, like, uh, people who are not that familiar with the classic, who how much they got out of it. Um, I mean, not to sound churlish or anything, but for me, one of the issues was that since, I mean, this was like Jodie Whittaker's farewell episode, but all the emotional highs were really all related to nostalgia. I personally yeah. didn't really get too much of the emotional thing out of anything to do with, you know, the Thirteenth Doctor. <laughs> so, but yeah, entertaining. I, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> that was certainly one of the cons about it, but yeah, I, I, I agree with agree with you on the entertaining part of it, and I was very pleasantly surprised by it and had a real a really great time watching it. 
And I don't want to go, like, totally on the negative and be like, well, that's been a long time since that happened watching Doctor Who, because I've generally enjoyed pretty much everything. I mean, I generally enjoy the show, even even still, and throughout the Whitaker era. But there was something about this one that was just had, like, that, like, snap, crackle, pop of some of the, you know, better, better days of the series or whatever, and... Um, yeah, I don't know. I had a blast watching it. All of the fan service worked really well for me. <laughs> yeah. So they did it right, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, it, this was this was just an utter joy to watch. You know, and there was there was a lot we knew was coming into it, and there was a lot of stuff that was rumored, and as a result of a lot of stuff that was rumored, a lot of things that didn't happen, but what did happen in it was very pleasantly surprising. And I would be lying if I didn't say that I spent most of it, you know, with a big smile on my face or giggling like a little girl. Um, because it was just, you know, it was it was a joy to watch. And I think that that's one of the things about the Chibnall era. And I, you know, I've defended Chibnall quite a bit in other places. But, you know, some mm. of those are, I think he goes in for the more serious rather than the humorous. And I think there's times watching his era, particularly with Flux, that you're kind of sitting there doing it, kind of going... And it's it's not that the stories aren't good, but they're not necessarily enjoyable. It's a bit like watching an art house movie at times, if you know what I mean. You know, it's something that's yeah. good, but it's not the, the the most joyous thing to watch. And this thing was just an utter joy to watch from start to finish, and with a lot of surprises and a lot of delightful moments. And I still have Imboni's um, Rasputin stuck in my head, uh, <laughs> even now. I will find myself humming suddenly, popping out lyrics to it. So you know, it was. Yeah. I, I don't envy Russell T. Davies trying to write a 60th anniversary special after this, because this felt so much of what I wanted from a 60th anniversary special has already been done, so I do not envy Russell T. Davies next year. Yeah, I would say that maybe yeah. that's sort of the weakness. I mean, if something is like an anniversary special, you can forgive it for being light on the plot. I mean, the plot here was yeah. totally barmy and made absolutely no <laughs> sense. And But, yeah. you know, in the anniversary thing, you can go in for... This is just a nostalgia trip, um, and yeah, over here, like it was, it was just the nostalgia that made it entertaining. Uh, if it was, if not for all the callbacks and throwbacks, it, um, I don't know, I might have enjoyed it much less. <laughs> yeah. I th I think there's still enough there for it to be an enjoyable story, but I think having things like Ace and Tegan there and all and a lot of the callbacks and stuff, I think really kind of pushed it that big further and i mean and it is an anniversary special it's for the bbc centenary and it does very much feel like it is a celebration of you know doctor who's been around for half as long as the bbc has at this point so it does feel like it's a really a celebration of every of doctor who with doctor who's long history at the bbc right yeah although it is kind of low-hanging fruit to throw out like uh, old companions and callbacks <laughs> like that'll ex just excite us it doesn't matter how you know we get excited just like a mention of somebody mentions axons and it's like ah so this was like whoa it's christmas <laughs> it, it perhaps was uh sold the 13th doctor a little short I, I think that's a good point um that it went for kind of that anniversary celebration historical celebration of the show and i think they i think they kind of nailed all of that stuff i mean it Right up to the point of, like, it had, you know, moments where I wanted to, like, get up off the couch and cheer, you know, some fist pump the air kind of moments, especially. Uh, honestly, it was Sophie Aldred and Janet Fielding just kind of lit up the screen. It's like, I this is the spinoff I never knew I wanted that I want now. And um, so, yeah, it just, uh, they were fantastic. And 
and it, it's really and just to you know fanboy out for a second it's really uh cool to see people that it, you know you've sat down at like chicago tardis at the brunch or meet and greets and stuff you know on the big and the big production on tv and so yeah Kind of cool. Big Finish is <laughs> undoubtedly writing the scripts as we speak, or has already written them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. One would help. Yeah, One I want to. I want to see Sophie back as Ace, like full time, and just forget any other companions. Just bring her back. She's. Yeah. Well, they are talking about like <laughs> they're talking about like uh, the expanded universe, right? So yeah, uh, it's right there. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's another piece of news we got to talk about too. <laughs> no, overall, I, I was quite pleased with it, and I. And I don't know if I've ever gone to the point of being cynical about the show, but I know I was not feeling this the excitement the past. I I actually enjoyed Flux at the end of it, and I've I've been to go back and and give it a rewatch, but it just felt like and and you know we talked about this before. There was COVID. There was a lot of you know issues that went into the reason that kind of felt the way it did, and it kind of felt rushed and disjointed. And I feel like that's probably not the fault of you know the the creators necessarily but um i don't think i've seen doctor who since maybe a couple moments in uh series 12 i'll admit series 12 definitely had those moments where i was just genuinely excited about the show like having that joy of of watching and uh this one did it and so it, it sent that whole era out on a high note Unfortunately, maybe for the wrong reasons, as you pointed out, Asad, because it kind of did a disservice to its own story, but it, it certainly uh, put a feather in its cap <laughs> at the end. So Yeah. But. And now I can kind of see, like, Russell T. Davies saying to Chris Chibnall that, uh, so what about the fugitive doctor and the timeless child and the universe being destroyed? And Chibnall goes, uh, tag, you're it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to which I'm sure he will just back pocket all of that stuff for the time being so yeah anyway it was fun i i enjoy i i really enjoyed um uh, the master in this, this story too i love the the, the raspy like the split master and the doctor master and yeah i thought he did a great job with that so um uh, but then i've been i've been a fan of his master from from the get-go so i'm I hear I hear a lot of detractors, and I, I don't get it. I think he's really, really good, but everyone's got their favorites. So. <laughs> uh. And then it was like, as soon as this was over, it was like uh, Russell T. Davies had just sort of been sitting on his hands, waiting for this to be over, so that he can start yeah. throwing out everything. Yeah, I, and I'm going to throw <laughs> yeah. this out just in case. I don't know if there's a Doctor Who fan in the world that hasn't sat down and watched Power of Doctor, and if they haven't, hasn't had it spoiled by, you know, the thousands of social media posts and everything else, but if for some reason you don't know what happened to the conclusion of the Power of the Doctor, please go watch it and then come back, because <laughs> it's, the cat's way out of the bag, and I don't feel like we uh, shouldn't be able to talk about it, but that's your, that's your spoiler warning, so we're going to go ahead and... Um, but yeah, so the... The fourteenth Doctor is David Tennant, and he's even regenerated his clothes this time around. So, right. um, yeah, which I just read a little bit about, and hearing Russell T Davies explain it, I was like, okay, well, your heart was in the right place. I still didn't really like that. But, right. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's not a hundred percent without precedent to, for that to have happened too. But it true. 
true. Yeah, but I think we've just gotten so used to it from Regenerations, even in Classic Who, that, you know, it it felt a little jarring when they did it. Having read, because I know there was an edited version of his quote that didn't have the full thing that went around, having read the full thing, I understand his reasoning 100%, but there's a part of me that still would like to have been in the other universe where he didn't go with that decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I think, like, it... I think he was coming from a genuine place of, of concern for what the image would do, you know, um, and the, the long-term repercussions, which, cause he's a, he's a veteran and he thinks about things like that, I think, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it was kind of odd and, and I, mean, I actually kind of would have liked to see. I mean, it's not even as if Jodie Whittaker's costume is like particularly feminine or anything. And, you know, right. all, all they needed right. to do was not. have like a close up, like a waist up shot of, David Tennant, and you know, and yeah, then it's, next time he comes back, he in, can have changed into his frock coat and pinstripe suit. <laughs> it's not incredibly dissimilar from his costume. Yes. I mean, it's <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, it's what it is. It's uh, I found it since we since we learned about this through you know the production stills and the the David Tennant return. I've I found it to be a curious choice. I'm hesitant or I'm like cautiously excited. I think it, you know I always. Uh, I enjoy David Tennant. The Tenth Doctor as a character is not my favorite Doctor, and I know people like find that to be an interesting comment because I love David Tennant. I think he's a talented, wonderful actor, one of, one of the best probably on the planet Earth. But um, but yeah, the Tenth Doctor is not not always my favorite. Uh, but I, but either way, I've been I've been happy to have him back. It just uh, from the get go, I just kind of seems like a, a big step in the wrong direction for the series or a big step backwards or looking backwards I guess is what I'm trying to say yeah, I mean I still remain slightly dubious because I mean uh, everything that these showrunners say has to kind of be taken with a grain of salt and they already set up the whole thing about the degeneration from the master mm-hmm. back into the doctor so it's obviously this is going to be some sort of expansion on that that hey that's why this happened and yeah, yeah, yeah. because I, I will I well, remember Russell T. Davies commenting about, well, if the Doctor ever kissed his companion, that would be like the end of the Doctor. And yes, it was. <laughs> Regenerated from Christopher Eccleston after he kissed Rose. <laughs> so. yeah. He's, yeah, he's very good at uh, telling you everything you want to hear without you knowing you're hearing it. But yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, this, the $64,000 question really is how is Tenet going to play it? Um, especially with Catherine Tate coming back as Donna, which is something we, we've known about for a while, too. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And the 30-second trailer or whatever, however long it was that we got, really, I think, put the nail on the hit the nail on the head on that one. So the real question is, how is Tenet going to play it? Is this going to be Tenth Doctor Redux, or is he going to, you know, find a slightly different tack on sort of approaching the part? So, but, you know, we'll find out, looks like, sometime next year. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it looks like late... 2023 and uh i think it's been confirmed as of just in the past couple of days that there will be a four a four episode mini series with uh, the doctor and donna and then a festive special which we're not sure what exactly that will entail so yeah um, whether whether we're going to meet the 15th doctor that at that time or whether it's going to be like the conclusion of whatever yeah. this is so and well, meanwhile, I'm over here trying to figure out which one of my hats I'm going to eat. <laughs> well, yeah. let's hold off on that, whether it's really the 14th yeah. Doctor or if they, like, somehow 
wipe out this incarnation and have Jody come back or for a brief transition or something. I'm mm. curious about how they're going to handle this whole thing about Donna's brain not melting when her rejoining the Doctor. Because if it's something that's like seems kind of easier, convenient, then a lot of Donna fans are going to be wondering why didn't the Doctor just go and do that? Like, yeah, <laughs> a long yeah. time. Well, back. It's, <laughs> I hope it's not something along the lines of, well, he's not actually the same Doctor. He's technically different. So it's like, that seems yeah. Like, cop out but anyway <laughs> i mean yeah. davies can be cle- can be clever when he wants to be so let's hope that he's yeah. you oh, know yeah. let's hope yeah. we're getting clever davies and not end of time davies <laughs> yeah well he's had his stumbles as well but yeah. i i think it's like the series is in good hands the mm-hmm. we we didn't also talk about other big news and i, I kind of want to get along to our review here but um, the fact that Disney Plus is now going to be the exclusive distributor of Doctor Who outside of the UK, so it'll remain on BBC One in the UK. Right. But, um, right. So that's kind of an interesting turn of events, and supposedly they're throwing some money at the show. It's it's operating with a budget that it's, is above where it's ever been before. So oh, Sony yeah. money and Disney money. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I know that there's been some discontent from people. Uh, less so from here in the U.S. because of the way BBC America has handled presenting it with commercials <laughs> and good yeah. God Almighty, the number of commercials in Power of the Daleks, but that's a topic for a podcast on its own. Um, <laughs> but I do know there's been some upset from particularly down in Australia because Doctor Who's long been right. aired on the ABC down there. And it's the, as ABC decided to put it in a statement, which I, I can't blame them for saying that it's essentially the end of a 50-year partnership. Right. And, you know, yeah. understandably, People are less than thrilled about that down there. But, you know, if right now, if you're going to put Doctor Who on a streaming service, short of going back to Netflix, which given Netflix's um, reputation for killing shows left, right, and center out of the gate, you know, I'm not sure I'd want Doctor Who with them anyways. Um, it's, yeah. a bit, it's a bit like giving Doctor Who to Fox. It's, it, it's asking for trouble. Um, <laughs> but I think if there's anywhere that's a good home for it with a big worldwide audience, it's going to be Disney+. Plus. To give it a lot of exposure, and people are always just ridiculous about how it's because, like, when uh, Warhammer got taken over by Marvel, which is a Disney company, and uh, for mm. publishing its comics, people were like, "Oh my gosh, it's going to be like a Disney-fied thing," and it is not. <laughs> Those comics are <laughs> not Disney-fied in yeah. any way. <laughs> I think for the most part, and you, there'll be people that will argue with you tooth and nail, but for the most part, I think they've handled their properties pretty appropriately. They, they kept the spirit pretty much when, and you're going to upset the Star Wars people here, I think, or a certain group of them, but, you know, we won't get into that. Well, but, but it's only... But for the most part, they've kept it, yeah. I would yeah. say it's only after, like, uh, Disney took over Star Wars that suddenly people were saying, but the prequels are magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. If they did anything, they brought appreciation. Yes. <laughs> I made the mistake yeah, of saying so. that to one of my customers the other here recently who was complaining about the Disney Star Wars stuff. And I said, you know, 20 years ago, we were saying the same thing about the prequels. And he goes, yeah, but we've just had enough time and seen something else that was worse to appreciate to, to appreciate them now yeah. for not being as terrible. And I'm like, oh, that's definitely an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and I like the new logo. It's a yeah, retro I, I with love... a touch of uh, modern jazziness. I was gonna yeah. I was gonna say it's it's definitely retro. It's not the retro logo I would have gone for. I'd have probably gone for 
for what for me, which is the Doctor Who logo, which is the the Pertwee era '96 yep. movie logo. Yep. Likewise, that was the mm-hmm. one. That's the one I would have thought they would have gone with, but you know, they could have done worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like it a lot. It, it invokes uh, classic and modern all in the same image. It's it's very very well constructed and well thought out image. Yeah, yeah. But I'm yeah. inclined to and agree it, that my favorite is probably the Pertwee one. So, yeah. but yeah, I got no issues with the diamond logo either. <laughs> yeah, at least it's not yeah. uh, Sylvester's neon. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say at least it's not that one. So yeah, that's perhaps one of my favorite eras of Doctor Who. But the entire credit sequence is not one of my favorite things. About it it, it, it so. has. <laughs> I, I am a paid-up Seventh Doctor fanboy, and that that credit mm-hmm. sequence has not aged well at <laughs> no. all. I always I always remind myself that when this was on television, it was probably kind of impressive. But yeah, yeah. so. Did, yeah, yeah. did you? There's several years ago, some visual effects person on YouTube uh, did a bit. who's a Doctor Who fan did a recreation of it, and he talked about that it took weeks and weeks and weeks for them to create even individual frames and seconds of the footage, and he managed to recreate it on a modern computer in the space of about 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm actually not a uh, not opposed to the title sequence in itself, but the logo I was uh, never a fan of. <laughs> Yeah. Same here. And now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 13... That's our doctor. Then one to three hundred for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time round. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Hi, I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the Vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. That's a kind of a nice segue into what we're talking about here, since uh, our the review tonight is the the modern continuation of what was a spinoff of the se- Seventh Doctor New Adventures material. So um, I was stretching for a segue there, and we kind of got one. So, <laughs> but, 
yeah, that brings us to our uh, review tonight. We're going to be looking at the um, Big Finish box set, the new... Or, sorry, let's start with the proper title, one of the longest ones we've had so far. It's Doctor Who, The New Adventures of Bernice Summerfield, Volume 6, Lost in Translation. Professor Bernice Summerfield, and this is the Doctor, he's... I'm afraid that's confidential, you understand. From Big Finish Productions, The New Adventures of Bernice Summerfield, Volume 6. You're being hunted by the Time Lords, the most powerful race in creation, and this is really how you're planning on eluding them? Absolutely. Look around you. This is a drab planet at the dull end of a dim galaxy. They're not going to look for us here. We're just two ordinary people. We can do ordinary. Right. I'm stuck in an airlock with a countdown. Oh, there's always a countdown. Doctor, tell me I'm right. You're right. <laughs> and you're wrong. Oh, you just had to, didn't you? The Doctor's crime is existing? Correct. And you want me to prove he doesn't? Also correct. <laughs> you really are going to be a delightful opponent, Professor Summerfield. I speak at the end of the universe. This is bad, isn't it? Very. Something's very wrong on Gallifrey. Off. Big finish. We love stories. Doctor? This is the series of new adventures of Bernie Smallfield, with which correct we talked about this last week, Matthew, and you're my source for this information. But is actually is this actually a continuation of the new adventures series that the adaptations they did of the new adventures series, or is it more of a sequel series to the? other Bernie Summerfield series that they were doing at Big Finish. It's more of a sequel to the Big Finish audios um, that they did with her series, because what had happened is, and Paul Cornell said this in an interview he did several years ago that, um, I think at the British Science Fiction Association, that at one point the Bernie Summerfield audios were selling a few hundred a month, and Big Finish decided they wanted to do kind of a reboot of it, so I don't care if it was 2013 or 2014, they paired her back with the Seventh Doctor and Ace, and they did yep. that for a couple yeah. of box sets, and then they decided, because there'd been a, a, a long time clamoring for more David Warner Unbound Doctor, introduced way back in 2003 for Sympathy of the Devil, uh, they mm-hmm. decided to put the two of them together. And that led to a couple of box sets set in the Unbound universe, and then a, a couple of more eventually bringing her, bringing the Warner Doctor back into Benny's universe, which brings us to this set. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Lost in Translation stars, of course, David Warner and uh, Lisa Barman as uh, the Doctor and Benny. (laughs) Four stories that we will go over uh, individually here and uh, do a review of each. um, This set was originally released on September 9th of 2020. Um, Yeah, and I'll do synopsis as we go through each of these. I guess just to start off, any what what is your and you kind of gave us the the actual history of the series. What do you what kind of background do you guys have in your your listening or or awareness of of Bernie Summerfield of any of these series of the Unbound Doctor? I know Matthew, you're a you're a fan and have, have <laughs> yep. mentioned a couple of times um, of, of the Unbound series, but specifically the David Warner Doctor. Um, do you want to want to get us started with what's your personal history with this stuff? 
So, I came to Benny a little bit later, mainly through my Seventh Doctor reading and listening. Um, but I really came to Warner's Doctor pretty quickly in my Big Finish time uh, with it. It was, in fact, one of the very first audios I bought back in 2008. I actually looked it up here on Amazon recently. And I took to him instantly, and then I got I sort of lucked out because that was the same year they did his sequel story with Nicholas Courtney and Terry Malloy playing Davros, a mm. wonderful story called Masters of War, which I highly recommend both of those and indeed the entirety of the Doctor Who Unbound range. Um, as the name may imply, and for those who don't know what the Doctor Who Unbound range, it was very much uh, a 40th anniversary miniseries, sort of saying, what if, in, in the Marvel tradition of it. So, you know, what if the Doctor never left Gallifrey? What if the third Doctor hadn't worked with Unit and accidentally been exiled later? And, you know, what if Doctor Who had never been a TV show? Then that's a, that's a trippy story from Rob Sherman uh, with Derek Jacobi, uh, which I highly recommend. So... That's oh, kind of my, that one out. <laughs> yeah. That it's a it's an interesting one. It's it's more of a drama than a Doctor Who story, but that is by no means a a bad thing. But know that going into it, and there's also a a really bad one called Exile, um, which was basically <laughs> what if what if the second Doctor committed suicide and turned into a drunk woman, <laughs> um, which hmm. I I cannot recommend that one unless you know you want to torture yourself. Unless but, you're you a completionist, know. like yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> for those who are interested, I actually reviewed the entire run of the stories last year uh, for the Sea Lion Press, my occasional alternate history publisher. So if you want to go check out my reviews over there on their blog, you're more than welcome to. Um, I came to Bernice a little bit later, and I've only really sampled her audios here and there, but also mainly her Doctor Who crossovers, her particularly her Seventh Doctor audios, and there's a, one with Paul McGann that she did as well. But, you know, and Benny's a wonderful character, too. I remember, though, when this was announced, um, because the issue, God bless Big Finish and Doctor Who magazine, they decided to announce this in the April issue of the magazine, for whichever year that first set came out. And Doctor Who magazine does have a bit of a reputation for April Fool's jokes. And this just seems such an unlikely thing that there was a whole debate on social media as to whether this was an April Fool's joke or not. <laughs> it, it, you know, as Tony Filer, my fellow Warp Factor writer, um, reviewed that set on that side. Now, he described it as being um, to the power of fandom squared, because it is basically a spinoff of a spinoff of another spinoff. But, you know, they're, but they're wonderful sets, and I, I can't recommend them enough. And particularly the set that introduces them, the third, which is the third very helpfully is the third set, because they did the first two, as I said, with uh, the Seventh Doctor and Ace, along mm -hmm. with Benny. Um, the set where they introduced her and the Warner Doctor together also has Mark Gatiss in it playing the Master, um, mm -hmm. which is, a, it's, a, it's a fun set. It's the, I think it's the Unbound Universe, which I highly recommend. Cool. I like how yeah. it seems like these, uh, how the titles historically progress from, like, it was the New Adventures, Doctor Who, the New Adventures, and then it just became the New Adventures, and then New Adventure of Bernie Summerfield, and now it's Doctor Who, the new adventures of Bernie Summerfield. <laughs> yeah. It's gone full circle at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she, I mean, she was around at Big Finish before Doctor Who was. I mean, she's the reason right. that, you know, the BBC gave them 
the license to do it because Big Finish originally went to the BBC, and this was in the wilderness years, of course. Mm -hmm. And the BBC went, you really haven't done anything and you expect us to give you the Doctor Who license. Yeah, good luck with that one. And, I mean, this was also the era of BBV, which we talked about a while back, and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. where everybody was kind of picking up different characters and whatnot. And they decided to go and do Benny and that's and they did a handful of audios with Benny and they brought in people like Nick Courtney and Mark Gatiss who we mentioned earlier is in one of the early ones as well and that put them on the BBC radar and thank god they did because it's it's been a wild ride yeah my history's been a bit random um like my new adventures reading was uh, it's been pretty sporadic what I've read what I haven't read it's like uh, I have not read Love and War but I have read Happy Endings. <laughs> so uh, so I knew Bernie's kind of, sort of, kind of. Um, I have Love and War, don't worry, but I just haven't read it. Um, don't tell Paul Cornell. Um, and I'm, the, I had... I'm the other way around the song, <laughs> if it makes you feel any better. Uh, and I had actually heard um, The Sympathy for the Devil. It was It's the only unbound one that I had heard uh, prior to this. So And I enjoyed it for the most part, right up till the ending. <laughs> yeah, which is um, extremely dark and nihilistic, <laughs> as they tend to. They sometimes are. No. Um, yeah, yeah. No, my my history with Bernice uh, Summerfield is very similar. I sporadically have heard Big Finish Adventures. I have read a couple of the New Adventures novels with her. Um, yeah, it, it's. I I don't remember when or where I became aware of her as a character, but I know it was post being aware of River's song as a character and went, whoa, okay, this is interesting that they've, you know, kind of adapted this character into into that on the modern television show, which is a little bit unfortunate because now I'm not sure there's ever room for Bernie to show up uh, in, you know, the actual TV universe. But that's fine. She's, she's, she's yeah. kind of uh, become the the quintessential spin-off character. She's kind of the, probably the most famous uh, um, spin-off character from Doctor Who and, and is 100% a, especially as performed by Lisa Bowerman, um, you know, a, a force of her own. So can carry a series on her own, no problem. So yeah. They she, do uh, mention her in Night of the Doctor, right? They don't mention Benny no, um, no, because Benny was so. more of a seven companion. But mm-hmm. it's funny. It's funny though, Eric, that you mentioned River Song because there is a Benny and River Song story in Legacy of Time, which was their big, big finish his own twentieth anniversary Doctor Who thing that they did in twenty nineteen. Okay, the yeah. first story of the the first story of that is Benny and River Song and the Eighth Doctor, and it turns out uh, <laughs> no. Really minor spoiler in that, but it turns out that uh, River is a, stu- a former student of Benny's. Ah, cool. Yeah, I'm glad they did that. Just to at least just to address, like, hey, we realize this is very similar, but we'll give it an in-universe reason. I like that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I know uh, she's a character I've grown to like like quite a quite a bit. So I'm never hesitant to pick up one of the big finishes with uh, Benny. And um, I I did read a couple of the new adventures post-Doctor New Adventures books, and I wasn't as fond of those as I have been of, of the Bernie Summerfield Big Finish stuff, so... Um, anyway, um, not what we're reviewing today, so... it's This is the first time I've ever heard uh, anything with the uh, David Warner Doctor, and I was pretty impressed right away. Um, definitely, uh, yeah, I have, I've not heard Sympathy for the Devil. I should go look that up. I've heard nothing but good things. 
I think we've talked about it two or three times at this point, and I still haven't heard it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I um, was, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about this more as we dive into the individual stories. But yeah, I was pretty impressed with him right off the bat, and even more so. <laughs> you guys are aware, but everyone listening is not. I, I actually uh, listened to the wrong set because I bought a few of these. Uh, Bernie Summerfield box sets, and I listened to the wrong one for the show, which, you know, go, good job <laughs> paying attention, but, um, and the, the following box set, volume seven, I believe, um, is more, just came out just recently, and, uh, is, it was the first, uh, posthumous release I think they made, um, since, yeah. since David Warner has passed. And I feel like in his voice and performance, I, I can, I, and I don't know the details of, 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 you know, what exactly happened health-wise with him, but I feel like there was a big deterioration in, um, between those two box sets. But I don't know when they recorded it, but um, his performance is still great. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's all physical. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, it, David Warner's fantastic. I think the one, yeah. one of the things, I think probably one of the few times that I've gotten annoyed with the casting crew of Doctor Who was that they put... David Warner and Liam Cunningham in the same episode. Yeah. <laughs> and they uh, couldn't, in roles that they couldn't bring them back, war. really. Yep. So yep. it's like, oh. Yep. <laughs> and, it's always a bummer when they uh, when they do that. The, not that they're wasting actors by putting them in smaller roles like that, but yeah, somebody like David Warner needed to be a, a regular for a while, you know, or something. But Yeah. But can, this, can this, you imagine him as like Professor Jericho in Flux or something? Yeah. Yeah, he could have done that part incredibly yeah. well. I think that was kind of yeah. the yeah. Not that um, no slight to um, sorry, Mister McNulty. Yeah, Kevin McNally. Yeah, definitely McNally. no slight to him. McNally. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started yes. to remember his name. He's a he's a guest at Chicago Tardis this year, so I'm sure I'll remember yes, his is. name after that. But yeah, so um, so yeah, should I, all dress up as characters from the Twin Dilemma and get his. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good cosplay. <laughs> you say this but, with like a week to go, Assad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there should there should be people dressed up as characters from the Twin Dilemma, just for <laughs> for <laughs> him. <laughs> right. Well, let's dive into each of these individually. So there's four stories, and the first of those is "Have I Told You Lately?" and um, just real brief one sentence synopsis uh, from the. The publisher uh, Bernice and the Doctor find themselves lost in the dark with the only clue to their surroundings is a mysterious voice. So um, that's pretty literally where we find ourselves at the beginning of this adventure. Uh, it's it's interesting because I've read some stories like this and they're always, the they the woke up in the dark type beginning of a of a story is is kind of a pitfall often. Like you can't. It's it's a hard one to kind of write your way out of satisfyingly, um, and I guess let's uh, talk about whether this this story does that. It's 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 a small cast um, for even for a big finish audio. There's just the doctor and Benny and the character of the speaker, which uh, has kind of mysterious origins at the beginning of the story. They're not sure exactly what it is. It's a, some sort of a learning uh, language. Um, I'm not sure if we do call it a robot system, computer, or something. The and Literally, it's dark. Nobody knows. The doctor has fallen down a hole. Bernie's in a, an area that she's like slowly kind of trying to navigate, and that's where we find our characters at the beginning of this, and the rest of it is kind of figuring out where they are and what's going on. So, um, 
yeah, how, how'd you guys, what'd you guys think about this one? I think once we are past the first couple of minutes, I think, I'm not sure I've ever heard a story that took such advantage of being in the audio medium as uh, this <laughs> yeah. one does. So I thought it was really clever, really well done. Um, yeah, I mean, it just took me a couple of minutes because, just mainly because of my unfamiliarity with, uh, relative unfamiliarity with the Unbound Doctor and mm -hmm. um, Bernie. But yeah, once I was past that, um, yeah, I was... Yeah, I mean, you were talking about the fact that yeah. this is this is a bit of a trope, and if not an outright cliche, doing the kind of I'm in, you know waking up in a dark room kind of story. There's something to be said about doing it on the mm -hmm. audio, though, because on in prose you're stuck with having to describe yeah. everything. And the thing about audio is that because it's an oral medium, you can leave things to the audience's imagination. And even if you have, as happens in this at times. Benny and the doctor describing things to themselves or indeed to each other and indeed the speaker, you can, there's still enough there that the audience can fill in the blanks as it were. It, I think it also helps yeah. that, you know, you yeah. have Bowerman and Warner in this as well. Cause this is big finish has done this kind of thing before there's, sh there's Sherzo for, which is a eighth doctor, Charlie audio, which works pretty well, but it is weird to put it mildly. Um, <laughs> but so you can do it if you've got the right cast and you've got the right script. And Tim Foley, minus his uh, episode recently in the second Doctor of War set, speaking of Doctor Who Unbound stuff, is what has become one of Big Fish's most reliable writers. And this is a really good example of why he's become one of their most reliable writers. Yeah, and uh, yeah, sorry, I, I neglected to mention that. Yeah, Tim Foley was the writer. It's also directed by uh, Scott Hancock, and uh, James Goss produced the whole box set, and I think is indeed is producing the entire range, yeah. if I'm if I not mistaken. Right. But yeah, so yeah, um, usually I mention that at the beginning. So yeah, Tim Foley. But um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, interesting setup because it separates does you know classic Doctor Who fashion. It separates the Doctor and the companion, but they're both kind of stumbling in the dark, and they're only means of communicating with one another is this speaker that they're not really sure what its nature is and it starts off as only um being able to reproduce small bits of their language a word or two at a time and they're not sure if they're really hearing one another or communicating with one another whether it's something the speaker is picking up um so they they slowly kind of figure out that yes they are communicating in a way um, but also the speaker is learning to communicate at the same time. So it's picking up its language. It's becoming, um, I don't know, it's becoming sentient. I get the feeling towards the end that it's always been sentient, but it's it's learning yeah. language for the first time. Like, it, yeah. So um, so it's an, it's an interesting way to, to navigate the story. It, it's, it's, it's a story where not a whole ton of, like, not a whole lot happens, but it's all very intriguing because it, it's, it has just dropped you in the middle of this mystery and um, yeah, it's, it also uh, leads us nicely into the next story. It acts as a setup to to what we're gonna deal with in the follow up. One but, thing that I liked and I appreciate because, like, like again, my only experience with the, the Unbound Doctor was Sympathy for the Devil, and over there he's pretty much like defeated and depressed. And um, but over here he's really much more the Doctor. It was yeah. kind of the same way, like. Uh, John Hurt in Day of the Doctor that initially I'd been concerned that he would be some sort of like dark and depressed figure but like once he 
pops up in the Elizabethan England. He's like, yeah, yeah. That, okay, that's the doctor. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, coming to <laughs> yeah. this myself, and, I mean, I've had the benefit of listening to the three sets go, coming into this as well. So, and having had that experience and watching his journey from that kind of, there's a certain Pertwee-esque quality to him in Sympathy for the Devil, which makes sense because he is an alternate third Doctor. But there's also a sense in that one, but also in Masters of War, that he's a guy who's begun, who's gotten the sense of how much time he's lost. Because he's been exiled to the 90s instead of the 70s or 80s or whenever the unit stories are set. And I think that by the time <laughs> you get to this set, he's very much... If you can say he's mellowed out, um, which I don't, if, I don't know if you can really yeah. say he's mellowed out from listening to this. Um, but the chemistry between the Warner Doctor and, and Bowerman uh, as Bernice is wonderful too. Uh, which which I think helps. I mean, that's, yes. the, that's the thing about the companion there going all the way back to Barbara, or indeed Rose and Modern Who, is they're there to humanize the Doctor and to bring out, you know, a little bit of humanity and emotion out of them, which is, you know, what they certainly happens here. The thing we haven't talked about, of course, is is that this is a bit of a character piece for the two of them, as we find out. And, you know, the, the whole running theme of this box mm -hmm. set is, you know, lo things that are lost in translation and things which are not the things we leave unsaid. And that's a, a whole wonderful little... I'm not even sure you could call it a subtext in this, but it is certainly present. Yeah, no, it definitely becomes not only part of the story, but I think important to the story too because of the what eventually happens with with the speaker becoming sentient and having to make you know, having to react and you know, learning that from them that the complexity of relationships and whatever, and I think that it, uh, leads to its decision to I, I believe at the end it basically deletes itself yep. and starts over but right. uh yeah so yeah they they um they have to kind of face the i don't know like it like in any relationship especially a tumultuous one where they're you know um obviously a lot lots of stressors when you're running around the universe getting shot at by yeah. you know everything and um they have to kind of face the unsaid things between the two of them and uh you know kind of come to terms with some of their differences and um yeah so it, it's it's very literally like learning to com communicate because that they're that they have this speaker that is learning to communicate they're communicating through it they're in two different places yeah. so it's very clever like the whole thing yeah. works and at least nicely. when they're bickering uh, here it's not and... six doctor and perry bickering either so no right. no no, it it gets to a point where you know they're fairly serious about, it, but it's never yeah, it's never just bickering. Like I don't even think the, that's yeah. Um, yeah. The doctor. It's enjoyable. The, I enjoyed that one scene where one does one of them does something and causes problems for the other one, and then yes. they have to switch that off. And yeah. I don't know if is that a trope or is it? <laughs> yeah. Not, but it was enjoyable. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then and you were talking a little bit about character-wise, the uh, David Warner Doctor is. Um, he, you said he's lightened up here. He's definitely a little bit grumpy. He's got a little bit of a Pertwee, Pertwee yeah. meets Capaldi a bit in in his kind of like he definitely has a like chip on his shoulder a little bit about he because he's been displaced. I mean he's in a place that's not he doesn't recognize similar but you know is is not his universe and he's he's certainly prone to grumpiness. In, in almost any of these stories, he has his moments of that, but he's also very much yeah. the doctor. Like he's got yeah. his, uh, yeah, yeah, he's grumpy, but he's a very yeah. moral yes. character. Yeah. In some ways he's more moral than 
the early episodes with uh, Capaldi, who was yeah. also very grumpy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a bit morally ambiguous for that first series, but yeah. Uh, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah I enjoyed the heck out of this one. It was uh it was a lot of fun. Um, very clever uh, writing, and yeah, I think it. Uh, Tim Foley writes his way out of the "I woke up in the dark" scenario very nicely, and gives us a very satisfying story by the end of this. Uh, what what they end up um, finding out they're on is some kind of a containment uh, vessel for a archaeological. Um, item of legend called the Ark of Whispers. There's a nice little um, Time Lord Victorious uh, <laughs> reference there when uh, it says it actually contains the rights of the Katuru inside of the uh, um, the Ark of Whispers, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, and then they don't really do anything with it. It's just literally a little drop to be there. Um, but I the, did uh, hear that the right panel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it, I had to like go and read. I was like, oh, I have to go look at, like, you know, tardis uh wiki and make see if that's what they said and it was yep um but yeah so the the arc of whispers is uh the was it a i don't know it relates to the the a being named known as the undying a legendary being or the undying benny's very familiar as an archaeologist with the the history of these things and what the speaker ends up being is the mouthpiece for what is it calling the undying back for um, or, but anyway, it's something about ending the universe. And, yeah. Um, so, it yeah. yeah. I'm re- forgetting some of the the, the details, yeah. but yeah, it's the the speaker is the mouthpiece of the undying that is going to call the end of the universe. Something along those lines, yeah. and it, it it becomes too sentient and too aware of its responsibility and decides to delete itself. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's I guess been it's built... too new. I was. Tr- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's been built for this purpose of sort of remembering all the lang- remembering all these languages at the end of the universe, and it's basically one of those you woke me up too soon. Now I got to go back to sleep, but I can't remember any of this because I won't be able to function when I get to that point. So, yeah. it, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a bittersweet ending in some ways too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, he has to this this creature or the creature, not even, but like yeah, uh, this uh, being has to reset itself right even yeah. though it's right. just achieved all of this uh insight into human nature <laughs> like, right so yeah that's good um i think i'll hold off on doing grades and we'll look at this thing as as a as a total but um i really enjoyed this one and uh yeah definitely yeah so. um let's move on to story number two and this is actually the one that the randomizers spun up for us this is the undying truth uh, written by J.A. Prentice, directed by Scott Hancock, produced by James Goss, and of course, starring again, David Warner and Lisa Bowerman. Um, this, we actually do have a guest cast. Uh, we have um, Lois Chimiba, Mimba, sorry, I butchered that, Rosie Day, uh, Raj Gautek, and uh, Lauren, Laurie Lewin as uh, um, some other characters that show up on the archaeological dig that the uh, doctor and benny find themselves involved in so um let me get you a super quick synopsis one sentence synopsis a mysterious mission has discovered a body one that should never be found can the undying really be dead after all so we mentioned the undying in the last uh so um in the last story and here we have uh 
a we get into a archaeological dig that is claiming to have found the remains of the undying who actually happens to be dead after all so <laughs> um yeah so Bur- yeah bernie being interested in uh, all things archaeological certainly uh yeah gets in gets involved and um yeah it's a interesting one what do you guys think about uh the undying truth well i have to admit i am very jealous of j.a prentice who wrote this because as they mentioned in the extras in 2019 there was an opportunity to pitch a unbound dr benny story to big finish and mine did not get picked in favor of this so this could have been the by matthew kressel it could have been i will say though um this one was probably better than what i would have pitched in um, because mine ended up in a very strange coincidence sharing some story similarities with a fourth Doctor audio that didn't get recorded, that had already been written but not recorded at this point. So, mm-hmm. the the universe works in very strange ways. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah this, well... Yeah, oh. but this this one's a fun one. Um, you know, it's, it's basically... For anybody who's watched the History Channel and in inverted commas in the way... Um, if you watch like the, particularly their Oak Island series, which I, I did on and off for a while, and their kind of idea of what archaeology and in inverted commas is, um, <laughs> it's very much if you can imagine Benny bumping into something like that, uh, you have mm-hmm. a good idea of what the basic premise of the story is. So there's just there's some wonderful um, satirical bits in this about you know advertising and the the current sort of information age that we're living in. Which I, yes, I have to admit, yeah. hearing it in 2020 and hearing it again uh, late last week, I got a, quite a few chuckles out of. So, And also the way they deal with the whole mythic uh, undying warrior aspect with, was I thought, thought really neat how they handled that. Yeah. In so, some yeah. ways it's a more, I guess it's a more traditional sort of Doctor Who story, mm. archaeological expeditions, mysterious aliens, and... Uh, Know, takeovers of uh, mind and body, and um, but it's yeah, like the uh, most of the other stories, it's got a econ- it's pretty economical in terms of its cost, and um, yeah, it was um, enjoyable. I would say not maybe not as uh, clever as the first uh, story, but uh, definitely still quite uh, enjoyable. Yeah, and yeah, and again, and I appreciated that they focus on the uh, death of uh, one character. It's not like he dies and then it's like well gotta move on yeah <laughs> yeah the the i don't remember what his, his name is uh vetkrin i think raj or venkrim raj is the yeah um raj gatex the actor vikram is the, the yeah. character yep um yeah they, that actually comes back and plays a role in the story like they don't just be like oh you know our, our one kind of um you know our one minority character here and uh he's the first one to get offed by the, <laughs> you know, by the big bad. And at least they, they do focus on that. It's not just like, well, he's dead. <laughs> like, yeah. which, you know, in the, in the sixties and seventies may not have been the case. So it's uh yeah, no, it does. Yeah. It does a good job. It's, it's a fun story. I actually, and here's here, I'm going to, you know, trip over the, um, the fact that I listened to, or mentioned again, that I 
listened to two of these box sets. There is a story in the subsequent box set that is very similar to this in many ways, and I got my I got my wires crossed on them a little bit. Uh, what which one was which? But yeah, once you said the advertising stuff, it, yeah, it, the some of the references to I do I. This one, this one definitely has a, that kind of modern, um, th- th- and also the way the stories end up. I'm not trying to say that they're the same thing. They're not at yeah. all. It goes in a different direction, but it's, it's an archaeological dig, and of course, it's a Benny story. We've we've been in this territory before, yeah. but yeah. So, yeah, Ubervanch, uh, I think it is in, in the other set. I think yeah. also has, also benefits from the fact that it's set in 30s Germany, and once again, back to History Channel presentations of history. And yeah, it, it has a, it has a lot. Of, that one has a lot of fun satirizing. That satirizing a whole another for History Channel version of history, Group. as it were. Yeah. Um, it just is a very similar, like, first act where they're, you know, in with this group of archaeological, you know, um, new, new, new characters on an archaeological dig and um, stuff starts going wrong. And yeah, so. Um, yeah. yeah, but this one Which, was fun. And, and I was incredibly impressed with uh, being, the, I mean, th- there is nothing. I could have picked out not not that you would obviously they've screened and, and gone through many submissions but that J.A. Prentice was a first time writer for Big Finish here I mean it's 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 a very well put together script it's uh it um I, like you mentioned Asada all of the stories all four of the stories in this um, work with a certain amount of economy even for Big Finish like they're fairly low uh, cast numbers <laughs> um, but I think it does a good job with uh you know, working with what it has, and yeah, I, I don't know, it's a fun one, it's it's, I don't know if we'll go and like, get into favorites out of this box that I, I, this one may per, may have been the least memorable, but I think that's only because it does have that similarity to some other Benny stories, especially one that I just listened to, <laughs> like there are, yeah. there are some similarities there, so yeah, um, but, it, but I certainly enjoyed it yeah, I mean, it's the problem, it's the problem with listening to this you know, back to back instead of two years apart, which is what happened happened with me. But you know, in, in another in another universe, this would have been a Titanic switch conspiracy theory and space story written by yours truly. So, you know, yeah. y'all, you know, this is probably the better story though, and I say that with you know, I I, I say that with no false modesty. <laughs> well, I do think it'd be cool if. Uh... If it was, but hey, yeah. would you have to recuse yourself? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> yeah, that would be. I'd be, you know. Or we could. We'd be doing a. We'd be doing a police box special where you could interview me about my episode. Yes. So yeah, because <laughs> you know, fan fan the flames of my ego over here, please. <laughs> Might be a yeah a little odd to uh, review that. So that was always my. Uh, anytime we would have a, a guest on of any sort, like I don't want to like, I don't want to review your work while you're on the show. That would just be awkward. So. <laughs> well, at least uh, at least this way you can answer back. Whereas you know it's like listening. That's true. You know it's like reading a reading somebody's review of your stuff or somebody listening to somebody's podcast. It's like you're wrong and here's why. Right. Like, what were you thinking when you wrote that scene? <laughs> here's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Uh. That sounds like a great idea for a podcast. If anyone wanted to, you know, sit down and have their work torn apart like that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. but not saying we'll tear it apart just for the sake. Yeah, no, of course not. It could be excellent. Yeah. Oh, I'm, as I'm sure it was. So. <laughs> welcome, welcome uh, to the Critique Box in a Junkyard podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I feel like I'm a little light on the details and an undying truth, but yeah, it just it was fun. It was um, I don't know. You guys have anything else before we move on to the the third story? It's a good romp. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Good adventure. Well, I'm not story, sure. Yeah. I'm not sure you can call it a romp because it gets a little dark in places. But you know, it does. Yeah, I think you can easily visualize uh, it being made with like those 1970s spaceship sets of property. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that brings us to the third story in the box set, and that story is called Inertia. And this one was written by James Goss, uh, directed by Scott Hancock. Um, this uh, short synopsis on a, rem- a remote island on a dull world. Some boring natives, some uninteresting ruins. Can two time travelers manage to do nothing for a month? Um. This and was yeah, co-written by James Goss, right? There's two writers on this one? Or am I thinking of the next one? I think, I think you're thinking, thinking of the, the next, next one. one. This one this one he's got a sole credit, at least according to the wiki page. Okay. Um, yeah. The uh Yeah, this one was uh as you heard, uh, at, at the end of the Undying we got a little um a little teaser that the Time Lords were searching for the doctor and uh so of course, the Doctor does not want to be found by the Time Lords, as is often the case. And they decide to take the TARDIS to, you know, a backwater somewhere, shut it down, and kind of hide out for a while to get them off of the trail. So, um, so yeah, this is a, it's an interesting idea for a story, because this is the Doctor and Benny doing nothing for a month. And trying hard to do nothing intentionally for a, for a month. And uh, it ends up just being kind, at least for me, just kind of a joy to listen to yeah. these yeah. two because the way that they, they kind of have to play old married couple. Which you know, by the way, we f- I found out recently, right after David Warner passed, that they actually were a couple. Um, so, which was news to me. Uh, I didn't but, know that. Yeah. Huh. So. Oh. Um, they uh, you actually get to hear a little bit of that. Yeah, bickering. And I'm not sure, I don't know all the gossipy details of how that came about. It was because of working together on Big Finish, uh, but I do think it was a a, a fairly recent relationship, but anyway. Oh, now yeah. I know what yeah, I'm asking Jason Haley at, uh, yeah. <laughs> at the reception. Give us all the dirt. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I know they. It was. it's a really fun story about two people that certainly are not used to having downtime. Uh, having to kind of fill their time and and not being able to stay away from their uh, you know their their habits, so the doctor immediately starts meddling, although he doesn't admit to meddling, and Bernie finds her way into you know in, into doing what she does, and she starts digging and learning history about this planet and the the culture of the people there, and then yeah, but uh, but the, the the real strength of it is is the two of them trying to kind of cohabitate yeah. <laughs> in in this situation, play house, if you will. Oh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm not usually, or at least from my experience, I've not usually been a big fan of uh, James Goss's work, but I really really enjoyed um, this one. Um, I mean, obviously the. David Warner Doctor is slightly less manic than Matt Smith since he's able to go a month <laughs> on the <laughs> island <laughs> without going nuts. Um, without and, going completely uh, nuts. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fun how he's also like doing the typical doctory thing. He he's breaks his own rules when he wants to about <laughs> the, 
whatever rules he set up about this is what we need to do <laughs> to stay out of sight of the time lords but when i'm yeah. bored i'm going to break them and do this and <laughs> go back how, to the tardis yeah how he keeps going back to the tardis he tells her we could not go back to the tardis we can't even open the door because that you know that would alert the time lords and then he's constantly going back and getting new stuff he gets board games he when it starts to get cold he goes back and gets like a whole like different wardrobe of warmer clothes and and uh but then tries kind of tries to like not really lie about it be like no i brought all this stuff with me the first time like i didn't go back to the tardis but uh yeah. and, and at I the mean, same I... time we find out like later on that he's he's also been kind of putting together all the pieces of right of, of the mystery of what's going on at this, the central plot yeah, of the story yeah. but yeah and i think um i think if power of three had been a little braver and maybe avoided like uh world endangering stuff could mm -hmm. have been more like this because again yeah small cast relatively small stakes um most of it is just them sitting around Yep. And it just it's uh, just thoroughly enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we get what a couple of tribes people are only real side characters here and and you do hear through the building of the atmosphere that there are there are many tribes people around at a couple of uh occasions, but um really it's just another one it, a, another one in this box set that we just get you know Bernie and the doctor kind of having to communicate with one another and, and they yeah. do a better job a better job in many ways than they did from the lessons they've learned in the in have you um uh, the first story and uh but but yeah it's uh again done with economy so um yeah. what do you think what do you have any thoughts matthew yeah i mean the, the funny thing listening to it at the time and also listening to it now is, you know, it's essentially a story about two people who are used to being on the go and having adventures and never having having a home and being settled down, having to learn to do that. I think you mentioned cohabitating earlier, you know, and the, the doctor talks about having sourdough bread and then playing board games oh, and yeah. endless cups of tea. And I actually went back and looked um, at the time to see when it was recorded because it was recorded in mid-March 2020, so it was before everything hit the fan. In mm. terms of COVID mm. and whatnot, but it, it, it really has occurred to me, listening to it then and again now, how much of a perfect metaphor it is for that really crazy year that we had right around the time this came out, you know. Yeah. And it's just, I mean the... you know, it was, it, and it's a totally coincidental because it had to have been written in 2019. We know that from J.A. Prentice's being in the competition. Um, right. And the fact that it was recorded in mid-March 2020 as everything was, as I said, hitting the fan. But it's just a wonderfully coincidental piece of detailing that they mm -hmm. created this kind of perfect little story of what it's like to be in COVID isolation, albeit in yeah. the Doctor Who setting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the reference to the sourdough starter kit makes it highly topical. Yeah, and that, <laughs> yeah. And that was totally by, it had to be totally by accident, unless they unless they went off and did some home recording, which they, they were doing during a lot of this period, but they were making a big deal out of it, and they don't mention it here, which makes me think that it's it's a wonderful little bit of coincidence. But yeah, it's it's a wonderful little piece of economic storytelling. I mean, I, I don't know what the sales figures are for these sets, but I imagine they probably are not, even though Benny's been around, is, is a longtime character for them, and Warner's, you know, obviously David Warner, people geek out about him. I can't imagine these are huge, big sellers of sets. But figure, seeing how they deal with, as we've talked about, that sort of economy of casting and economy of scale, 
I think, forces mm-hmm. them to produce some really interesting stuff. And this is an example of that. And it is, as you know, it is a joy to listen to, as we've been talking about. You know, it's very much yeah. the two of them and their chemistry and bouncing off of each other. And that's something you also get a sense out of um, in the extras, particularly for this one, with um, Goss and Bowerman sort of talking about this and him basically going, saying, I saw the interactions between you two and thought, I can do a story out of this. So yeah. it, it's a case of behind-the-scenes influencing real life. I, I do think it's, yeah, some really uh, natural... And, and, and I think I don't think they ever cross the lines of, you know, not not playing Bernie and the Doctor, but I think you hear they're, they're very comfortable where where they're at in this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it's yeah. great. They're, they're both great performers anyway, but yeah, it's, it just... It, that kind of shines. That, that relationship shines through. Um, I really love... I like the... I mean that it's sort of again I with my own idealized sort of picture of the doctor which is that you know he just sort of goes out of his way to start you know okay so let me help you find an alternate food source so that you're not uh, getting mauled by the monster and the monster isn't losing its eggs and <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, yeah uh, yeah I mean, uh, it, it's still very much a doctor who story as much as it is a story about you know people trying to you know, cohabitate in isolation and having, and, you know, not being used to basically being stuck with each other 24 hours a day. And I think it's so funny that the two of them are trying to isolate, but they just can't stop what they do. Like, they're both meddling in their own way and they're both still working and they're both kind of like, like we were talking about it, it they're not really lying to each other about it, but they're kind of doing that kind of separate away from each other. And, you know, the doctor is meddling with the tribes people. And we find out at the end, the doctor has kind of like orchestrated a lot of, he's kind of put all this together. Uh, well, Bernie on her own is putting this together through studying the history of the planet and the people. And turns out that this tribe that seems to want to have nothing to do with them, you know, they don't, they don't really warm to the doctor <laughs> teaching, teaching them about this new food source that source that saves their, you know, their hunters from dying. And, uh, they're, they just don't, they don't seem to warm very well, but they're very kind of like standoffish to the point of ignoring them. Um, yeah. not, and, uh, yeah, so it turns out that the two of them kind of put together the mystery at the same time, and they're kind of having this wonderful moment of, like, I figured it out, and they're both kind of at the same place of figuring out that, oh, they're actually just waiting through this whole cycle of time, and then they're going to murder them. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a, it's a uh, wonderful play yeah. on the whole Lost in Translation thing, because we figure out, yeah. exa- we, we figure out uh, exactly how Lost in Translation it's been, because everybody's been trying to read, trying to read pictograms <laughs> as language, and it's like, yeah, this is... Which is wonderful, um, and also as as a historian, you know, history history doesn't repeat, but it definitely rhymes, except on this planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Matthew, you had talked about like the um, interviews after, and obviously you're more familiar with Big Finish than I am. But I think maybe this is the first time that I've heard like the post uh, story interviews where they're talking to people as a group, as opposed to individually recording their responses and i really enjoyed that yeah i enjoyed the little group interview as opposed to like i said usually i seem to hear them just as uh, one one-on-one yeah it, it's something thoughts. they bounce back and forth between depending on depending on the range and who's available i guess to chat afterwards for that matter because i know some of the companion chronicles are like that too 
Okay. But for the most part, yeah, particularly if you if you only listen to, well, what used to be the main range and then became the the monthly range and is now no longer with us for better or worse, right. um, mm-hmm. a lot of that was sort of individual interviews. And I think you know I think a lot of it depends on who's who's left in studio that I can talk to at, at the tea breaker at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I was just trying to figure it in most of those situations they were grabbing an exit interview, essentially, like, when they're done for the day, they're just, like, you know, on their way out, like, you know, grab them for a few minutes and talk about the experience and then cutting that together. Yeah, I have heard it both ways, but it, it the majority of them are, you know, individual interviews kind of spliced together. Um, yeah. I enjoyed this so, approach much more. Yeah, the round table type, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I've heard them do on other things, it's just not as common as the other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, uh, inertia. I, I was um, Asad. You'd mentioned earlier not always being a huge fan of James Goss's work. I I like fifty fifty on his, and it's usually extremes. Like I find like I really don't care for something, or I really really like it. Like he's a yeah. he's kind of a, a polarizing writer, even to myself. Like <laughs> it'll be like one or the other. Um, and I think this one was fantastic. This might be my favorite of the of yeah. the entire set. And it's it's interesting that it's my favorite because it's such kind of it's such a yeah, low key yeah. kind of story, uh, yeah, but it's just yeah. so much fun and and the performances are so good. I sometimes wish that Doctor Who would like sort of lose its the sort of this. I don't know if it's a written rule or an unwritten rule that there always has to be a monster or a crisis and just have the characters chill yeah. for an episode or something. Yeah, well, yeah. Big Finish has tried that. There's Oh, Stranded. what is it? Fate of Krellos or something from the fourth Doctor Leela audios. For the most of it is that exactly that kind of thing, where it is the fourth Doctor and Leela just happen to come across this guy, and most of it is just spent hanging out with him until something happens at the end, which leads into the to the next episode of it. And it is dull, to put it mildly. <laughs> I mean, you can, well, yeah, you can do it. Well, yeah, it depends on how you do it. But... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's short trips and stuff where they've done that, too. Um, and the great thing about the short trips I mean, is they're they're short stories, so you don't you know you have the ability to do that kind of thing. Um, I, feel like, I mean, and I think it's more like in the maybe in the TV episodes I'm thinking more because since I'm more familiar with those, yeah. but it because it's like in Love and Monsters or even Vincent, Vincent and the Doctor, the, doctor, the monster yeah. is like the weakest part of the whole story. <laughs> yeah, that that does seem to be a, a a written rule because I know there's the story of what happened with both Vincent and the Doctor and Rosa. That they were both supposed to be, I don't know if you necessarily call them pure historicals, but, you know, something, you know, but something a little less sci-fi. And somebody higher up in the BBC saw the scripts or something and went, it's Doctor Who, you can't do Doctor Who without a a monster and without sci-fi, or, you know, some kind of sci-fi element. So, which which is a shame, because, again, something like this proves that you can... I mean, this does have a little bit of a sci-fi element to it, obviously, but it's it it yeah. shows that you can do it if you're if you're willing to put the effort in. Then again, the the thing about Big Finish is is that it's aimed at we the fans again. Back to you know, back to the the power sure. of fandom squared. So <laughs> you know, we'll, yeah. fans will put up fans will put up with a lot of stuff that I, I sometimes wonder if the general public would. So yeah, we uh, I know when Assad and I talked about the. Um... 11th series episode demons of the poon job that was one of the things that we identified as a weakness in that episode as well like the mm-hmm. the monster alien element of it 
wasn't as well developed as what what otherwise was a very compelling story mm. was kind of you know that, that was kind of the weakest link and, and and the other historical episode from that series rosa has the exact same problem like yeah. it's a right. fantastic episode that just kind of has this shoehorned in you know future space racist or whatever they've named him in, in fandom now um which just doesn't really it, it, it's not that it's bad it doesn't it doesn't wreck the episode it's just it's the weakest part of it and it almost leaves you wondering does it even need to be there so. yeah Yeah, if you guys don't have anything else on inertia, um, well, I guess we'll uh, spoil a little bit of the ending because we have to to go into the next one, and that is that the Time Lords eventually catch up with with uh, the Doctor and Benny, and the title of the last story in the box set will give that away because this one is called Gallifrey, uh, written by Guy Adams and A.K. Benedict, directed by Scott Hancock again, uh, also produced by James Goss again. Um, and this one is a uh, short uh, synopsis of this. The Doctor has come home, but he doesn't belong here, and Bernice thinks there's something very wrong with this Gallifrey. So, um, yeah, so they show up on uh, are brought back to Gallifrey, and basically, as the synopsis says, something is very not right. Uh, the Time Lords are literally almost frozen in kind of you know, inactivity... Um, Things uh, we recognize some some familiar characters, primarily uh, Sean Carlson uh, re- reprising his role as Narvin, um, and uh, we recognize some of some familiar th- familiar things about Gallifrey, but uh, something is definitely off. And the the Unbound Doctor, David Warner Doctor, doesn't catch on quite as much because he's used to a different Gallifrey anyway. But uh, yeah as we find out as time goes on. Something has invaded Gallifrey, a slow invasion of, of Gallifrey. Um, yeah. Get to have to get to the bottom of this uh, mystery. Um, what do you guys think of, of Gallifrey? I thought it was kind of the weakest of all the stories, and maybe part of it is also it goes back into the more standard Doctor Who planetary threat uh, Yada 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 mm. stuff, and again the cast is entertaining and you know it's well done all that, but I definitely would put it as the weakest of the lot. Yeah, we've we've spent this review talking about the economy of scale and the economy of set here, and that's one of the things I think that hurts this one is it's a story that feels like they've been, they've spent this entire box set building up to it, and it feels like it ought to be sort of grand and epic, and instead. It suffers from the same problems that the sort of 80s Gallifrey stories suffer in that you really get the sense that this is something that's just taking place with a with a handful of characters in a bunch of corridors. There's n- there's no sense of grandeur, there's no sense of scale to everything. It, you know, the sense of threat by the time it's over with is pretty massive. But it doesn't have, I think, a scale to kind of go along with it. And picking up on what you were saying, Assad, about the fact that it is basically, it's a bog-standard Gallifrey story, and it's basically like the two of them, Adams and Benedict, are basically sitting there going through those 80s <laughs> Gallifrey stories, basically going, okay, we'll have that bit from Arkham Infinity, and we're going to have the courtroom from Trial of the Time Lord, and that, that's exactly what it feels like, and I don't th- I think there's a lot of potential here that doesn't get put to use. I mean, I was waiting for David Warner to go, sagacity, sagacity. Yeah. 
Yes, this was, Sean Carlson's already beat him to it, though, playing Darvin. Oh, he'd be, like, criticizing him. What yeah. kind of a bootlicker are you? <laughs> I thought it was an interesting move for them to kind of replay. Honestly, you mentioned both Ark of Infinity and Trial of a Time Lord. That's what this story is. It's those two right. stories kind of mashed together uh, in... And narratively, like the exact details of what's going on aren't isn't borrowed from either of those, but like the what what we see, you know, doctor on trial, doctor going to be executed, um, you know, it's yeah. it pretty much lifted straight out of there. And the fact that they actually spend a good majority of this story um, having another trial of a time lord, um, where the where honestly the stakes seem to be much smaller than the original. Uh, trial, so it's uh, it was kind kind of an an interesting choice. I I didn't dislike the when we actually got down to what was going on. It was an interesting you know invasion story, and I really the doctor's dilemma of how to deal with it, and I really found it interesting that he was uh, whether he was serious about it or not, but at a point was willing to just like let it go. You know, <laughs> like he was just oh it's gonna eliminate an entire race. Well. I don't really love the Time Lords that much anyway, so just let it, just let them be kind of <laughs> thing. Um, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, overall, besides, the, the, like, the last, the resolution, I think, was satisfying enough to, it, it, I didn't, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it at all, but I did think that the majority of, the majority of the way the story was presented was kind of dull, mm. <laughs> for lack of a better, yeah, it's like, and I think those that also had that one moment where I think it's the archivist who starts regenerating where there's like dramatic music going on for 45 seconds or something and I had no idea yep. what was happening. Oh, yeah. And she explain, <laughs> Bernie explains it later what, yes. what she was witnessing, but at the time you're like, okay. <laughs> and, and again, yeah. there's, there's ways of doing that on audio where even if she's going, you're regenerating, you're still regenerating. What's going on? You know, something. And it's not like that Guy Adams and A.K. Benedict aren't experienced Big Finish writers to have come right. up with yeah. something. Then again, it may not be. Maybe they recorded something and they decided in post-production it wasn't working and they decided that 45 sure. seconds of sound effects and music was going to be the way to go. But, I, yeah, listening to that again, because I remember having that same, exact same thought back in back in 2000. Uh, back in 2020 and listening to it again now and I was like did I misremember this and then I'm sitting here listening to it again yesterday going nope I remember that exactly um, the other thing that leapt out at me which I thought was really interesting was at one point uh, Narvin sneaks up on Benny and she says where did you loom in from which I thought was a neat little new adventures <laughs> reference and I actually had to yeah. rewind the iPod and go back and go did I hear that right <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fun. This whole box set has some nice little like fun references, um, you know, which which is not uncommon in Big Finish. But I think they're a few of these are like pleasant in in a good way, like on the nose. Like we were talking about good fan service mm -hmm. in reference to the power of the Doctor. Like there's there's some good stuff right. here. Um, yeah, did the Doctor uh, literally uh, or was it who brings up literally the the like says the events of the arc of infinity essentially like one time the doctor like they just were, yeah benny benny brings it up at the, one point and it's like yeah. I, I know and it's yeah, like it's you know it, it might have been better if she hadn't basically if it wasn't benny doing the writers confessing that they've cribbed this whole bit from another story moment yeah yeah 
At least they're aware that we're aware. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes sometimes it gets a little too self-aware, and I think that may be one of those. (laughs) Yes. Uh, At least they refrain from going into the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. There is the, there is the wonderful bit in that scene though where Werner talks about he's been was it being chased through mud by clowns and he spent a whole half hour yeah. being attacked by magical surrealism. <laughs> yeah, a nice little dig at the last part of Trial of a Time Lord there. So, um, we I I did find the um, alien invaders in this to be an interesting idea. Um, just i mean not to the point where they're not reinventing the wheel essentially they're body snatchers in a way um right so yeah i don't know just kind of puts time lords into a uh, semi-meditative meditative state <laughs> i guess and uh, yeah even even narvin's kind of low-key which is different for him as well yeah so. <laughs> but to the point I don't where know him well, know that character well enough to be able to. <laughs> yeah, I, I know him from the, listening to some of the Gallifrey series. Um, uh, and I have not listened to any a, of those. He's a regular uh, on there, and he's popped up in other other places around Big Finish, I believe. Yeah, he's essentially when when we get the Doctor to Gallifrey, and whenever it crosses over with the Gallifrey series, Narvin will pop up. So he's a, a I don't know if he's the head of or he's a, a, an agent for the Celestial Invasion. It, intervention yeah and, he's um, coordinator so. of it and he also pops up in a number of the yeah, so. in roles both cameo and larger in, in various Derek Jacobi war master sets as well so uh yeah he did yep. which is which is yep. which is fun when he pops up but yeah his and I love that they brought him into this and this was this was the story in the set that they really hyped up at the time and I think that I think if they hadn't quite hyped if at least speaking for me if they hadn't quite hyped it as much as they did saying, oh, this is going to be a little epic conclusion to this set, I probably would have liked this story a lot better. But I think it just... Yeah. I don't think it's got the scale to be what it's trying to be. Yeah, and even to the point... Um, I mean, hyped this to the point of all of the... Not only all the stories lead up to it, but, like, the artwork on the front of the box set. Right. It's yeah. all Gallifrey. It's, it's Bernie in the, yeah, in the yeah. you know, Gallifrey and robes and headdress. And so, yeah. Looking this, quite this was, fetching, must I say. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This, uh, so this definitely was, you know, they were playing this as their main event, and I'm not sure, it just didn't quite get to that level. It wasn't quite epic right. in the way that, yeah. uh, it should have been. It was low-key in, in the way, way where it fits, it fits fairly nicely with the rest of the stories, but this just felt like, I don't know, the return to Gallifrey, like, I mean, it this, felt this, like it needed a little... The stakes were very high, but the yeah. narrative was pretty low-key. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the, the narrative doesn't doesn't match the scales. Well, or yeah, doesn't match the. uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Somebody somebody figure it out for me, please. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that pretty much sums it up. So, (laughs) Um, yeah, I I think that's uh, really played the 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 performances in it are great. Still played to perfection. I really really enjoyed um, uh, David Warner. Doctor kind of wrapping everything up in the way he kind of dealt with the situation. I think I mentioned that earlier, but yeah, the the where you're trying, you're wondering if he's serious that he's just going to walk away for a while there. So, other than that, I don't have a whole lot more on this one except that yeah, just a little disappointing. I couldn't find even not... much information about it on the. I don't know if it's just too new because most of these sets have like long detailed synopses and 
reviews and I was yeah. trying to find one to refresh my memory and I was like, ah. Oh, I had the same there. challenge with this and um <laughs> which is why especially with like the the um undying one, the that's it crossed over so much in my memory that I had trouble telling which one was which and I wanted to read a little more about it and I couldn't find yeah. it. Hardly anything. Undying truth is what I was trying to say, but uh, yeah, and even like on the wiki page, the plots are all like to be added. So we'll right. see if those ever get up there. But yeah, I have a feeling it's just probably because they're new. Yeah, ish. Right. Like yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's fairly obscure too within the big finish stuff because there's mm. not a there's not a main doctor there. Benny's long running, but she's not exactly you know as much as she is a stalwart of of spinoff media. She's not necessarily the no offense to no offense to the Lisa Bowerman or Paul Cornell, who are both very lovely people, or indeed all the people at Big Finish. Not necessarily the the best known thing. If we if you were doing an iceberg video of Doctor Who spinoffs, I'm not sure where Benny would be on that iceberg. Yeah, <laughs> she should be a number one in my opinion, but I think that's here, here. probably not the case. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially in this incarnation. I, I mean, as she's, she is Lisa Bowerman now at this point. Like, I feel like right. she's just embodied this character. Yeah. So, but, right. yeah. but I was going to say, you guys have any, any more final thoughts on this or, or any of the stories? Um, can uh, maybe uh, yeah. wrap this up with final thoughts on the, the whole box set and we'll uh, give it a grade here at some point. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think I'll definitely be uh, looking to get um, the other unbound doctor with any uh, collections take a listen yeah. to those i can't i can't recommend their whole run enough i mean it is one of my favorite things that big finish has ever ever done i'm a well of course i'm a big fan of the unbound the original unbound stories with him anyways but the fact that we got more stories with him is along with the fact that they did get john hurt back to do more audios as the war doctor i think it's one of the things i'm really grateful to big finish for doing and in indeed mm, it, yeah not, he's not a, not an official doctor, but David Warner is certainly on my list of favorite doctors, and it's entirely because of Big Finish. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like we're very very lucky that they did get all of this stuff done, like all of these sets, uh, and right. let him and yeah, because how many times do you do you think? And this is all hypothetical, I suppose. I, I mean, I, there, there's probably someone out there who really knows the history. Um, how many times do you think his name was thrown in the ring when they were trying to recast a doctor, even in the original years? Yeah. I, I'm sure this is a name that came up. Um, he just has that kind of uh, doctorness about him as a as an actor, as a, as you know the way. So I, I think it's just a perfect. And it, this gave it a chance, or Unbound gave it a chance to actually exist. You know, it was always somebody you'd imagine, you could imagine playing the yep. Doctor. But um, so yeah, I feel really lucky to have discovered this, and I've I've now heard two of these sets, and both of them, I'm gonna agree with Matthew, have been two of my favorite things that I've heard from Big Finish in the longest time. I think it has a lot to do with the, the chemistry between uh, David Warner and uh, Lisa Bowerman, uh, as well as the, his his characterization of the Doctor is quite fantastic. I I like him a lot. I like the uh, I like his like semi crotchety but like highly moralistic like righteous. I don't know. Like he's he's just really really a good doctor and and very much his own. Like he's not he's and I know he's kind of started off as an alternate uh, incarnation of the third doctor, but I think by I I'm not hearing a whole lot of that anymore. I'm just hearing this this David Warner version of the doctor. You know this is this is his character at this yeah. point. So and of course I'm starting six sets in. So I mean who knows how, <laughs> yeah. how we've gotten there, but. 
but yeah, he 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 shines, and which which you know, being the the performer and uh, with the his history in 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 film and stage and everything, and um, he's a fantastic actor. But yeah, I don't know. I I guess I guess I'm just long windedly echoing everything you said about. I just feel lucky that we got these box sets at all. Like this, is, it's it's a cool. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna go looking for more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I can recommend the following set, uh, Blood and Steel, um, which is a four different stories that all take place in 1930s Germany, just prior or Berlin, around Berlin, uh, which all uh, just prior to World War or the Nazis, you know, coming to power and in Germany. And uh, that sounds like it might get a little old, but they have a it it, it it's really a unique way that it kind of it kind of plays a role in each of the stories, but the stories are very distinct from one another. Yeah. Uh, I mean, cool. it's, it's basically, yeah. it's basically uh, so. a serial, but it's, they're wonder the way they're tied <laughs> in together is fairly loose for the most part. Um, there's a, sort of yeah. little pieces that weave in and out of them, but I, that's a, that's another set. I, I can't recommend, recommend enough. If you'd like this set, you're really going to like that one though. It's, it, it gets a little dark in places. It does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just given it's a, uh, it's setting, right, I think it's setting. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but yeah, when it comes to this one, yeah, I, I, this is a solid three out of four stories that I really, really liked. Yeah. Uh, with the fourth one still not being like my least favorite thing I've ever heard. It, it was fine. It just, yeah. Um, Suffers a little um, in comparison with the others, plus being the final story. I mean, assuming we're all talking about Gallup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I was talking about. Yeah. Was, uh, um, so. Yeah, I was. Uh, Trying to figure out what, what we want to give this a grade out of, and I can't for the life of me figure out what that alien race of uh, body snatchers from Gallifrey was the called. The The Nal? The Is that there? Nal? Okay. Was this their one and only appearance in Big uh, As Finish? far as I'm aware. I mean, I haven't heard absolutely everything so from Big far. Finish, but I think so. <laughs> so. Well, let's rate it out of uh, three, or uh, out of five Nal, then, so... <laughs> what would you give uh, the uh, Doctor Who The New Adventures of Bernie Summerfield Volume 6 Lost in Translation <laughs> I'm kind of inclined to go towards a, like a 4.5 maybe so, that would be my rating I really it. enjoyed this <laughs> yeah I, I'm gonna we're gonna be unanimous because I think this is almost yeah it's it's almost perfect it's that that last one that just doesn't quite get to that epic scale it needed to be um, to really drive it home, and I just don't think it's quite the story that it needed to be. Like it needed to be a little more than a, a body snatcher invasion, something or other. But anyway, it's still a good listen. Yeah, good cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for sure. Yeah. Um, not my least favorite. In fact, it's it's not even it's not even close to my least favorite big finish we've been reviewed on the show. So it's, oh uh, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So with just one. One more thing left to do, and that's we need to hit the big red button on the machine we call the randomizer and find out what it is we are going to be reviewing next time. And next time on the show, we are going to be taking a look at the Doctor Who annual from the year of 1977. So this was a uh, midst of the Tom Baker years. Um, Doctor Who annuals, of course, as you can guess by the name, are the yearly fan books that come out. Um, still to this day, there's a, an annual published every year. 
Um, Matthew, did they have those during Wilderness Years? Were they publishing annuals still? I think Doctor Who magazine did some stuff. But I think, because I think the the last of the annuals stopped before the McCoy era. Um, I think they did the last one okay. was sometime during Colin Baker. Because I, I know there's been a, a couple of um, fan-produced annuals for McCoy and also for Paul McGann. So, but I think, I know yeah, Doctor there's... Who magazine did some stuff that were essentially annual equivalents during the Wilderness era. Haven't they also come out with some unofficial annuals for the yeah. 70s as well now? So they were finishing up, they, they try. I, I know that, I don't remember what the name of the, the publisher is, but there's a publisher that's doing kind of the missing years. Yeah. And then they did some other ones. They did like the master annual and they did like the, they do a unit There was maybe, a unit did, one, uh, which I, like... I was almost in, but I couldn't quite... Couldn't quite crack the story that went in there, but that's and there was also some stuff with that one about the brigadier and whatnot. So, so yeah, there's lots. Eyes open for that. Yeah, lots of annuals out there. Um, this is the first time we've reviewed one on the show. I have read some of the more modern ones. I have a few on my bookshelf. Um, they can be any anywhere from like um, you know little fun and games kind of kiddie stuff all the way to you know prose fiction comic strips. Uh, etc. So I'm not sure what we're going to get out of this 1977 book, but um, yeah, looking forward to diving I into I have read a couple of time, the so. old ones from the 70s, and yeah, that could be a short episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do tend to be brief, so which might, which might be a welcome break <laughs> for some of our, uh, you know, ep- more epic length ones here, so uh, get, you know, get your uh, old, an- dust off your old annuals and come back and join us next time, and uh, yeah, we'll be traveling back to 1977 until then i want to thank everybody for uh joining us here on the police box in the junkyard podcast and uh if you do have any feedback uh for the show or want to submit your review of anything that we review on the show uh look us up on uh we're on facebook we're on twitter send us a message there or you can get, send us a good old-fashioned email at policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you send us, and a if you're a Chicago artist, you can uh, come and uh, yes, say please. hi. Yeah, say hi. All three <laughs> of us. Person. Will, yes, all three of us will certainly be on on panels at Chicago Tardis. Yeah. Although, by the time this airs, I have a bad feeling that may have passed. But hopefully, you will you will have said hi anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we are one of the panels. There should uh, be a so. panel on David Warner and the various Unbound Doctors. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will. I will definitely be in attendance of that panel. I'm don't think i'll be on it but looking forward to all of the panels and to chicago tardis and to seeing you guys in person which is always the highlight of the weekend (laughs) so um yeah so uh till next time um i'm eric Goldbranson, and uh this is the end but the moment has been prepared for (laughs) this is go forth in all your beliefs etc 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 Matthew Kressel saying so long and thanks for all the fish. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric, Asad, and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends as always sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. 
The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who Retro Theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger. Some of there's injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. A Doctor Who Podcast Network. They all say who is Doctor Who. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With a popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip. And every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network.